The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Forn. Today on the series, I'm so happy to share an episode with you that I recorded with the brilliant Alison Stoner. She's an actress, she's a dancer. You will know her from having appeared in the Missy Elliott Work It video. She also starred as Channing Tatum's little sister in Step Up, and she appeared in Cheaper by the Dozen. She was one of the dozen, and lots of other different movies and shows to date. She's now 27. She's very much moved on since those days and has now become a wellness advocate. She is an incredible speaker. The way she can articulate her experience of mental health, which she had a very hard time with as a child star in a very high pressure environment. And here she just so eloquently tells me her story, shares her experience, what she's learned, what she's been through. And most notably, she now in her new role is about to launch an incredible movement called Movement Genius, which is a platform that connects people like you and I who are maybe struggling with anxiety with these wonderful teachers. And it's a movement based therapy. She explains it herself much better in the conversation, but I really think you will enjoy this one. I could have talked to Alison all day long. She was incredible and such a sweet girl and so self-aware and the kind of self-awareness that really unfortunately only comes with sometimes having to go through a really hard time which she did but she's fantastic and she's so willing to be vulnerable with me and I think the world of her having had the conversation with her and I'm so grateful to have had the chance to connect so yeah enjoy this conversation as always appreciate the reviews the good feedback and if you want to follow me on Instagram at Caroline Foran I will post more anxiety related content there thanks so much Alison Stoner, thank you so, so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you all the way from the US at the moment. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's the middle of the day here. So thanks for figuring out the timelines. 
There's so much that I would like to ask you. I'm conscious that we only have so much time and you're so busy. So we'll just get right into it. Over here anyway in Ireland, you're probably, and in the UK, most known for your roles. First and foremost, appearing in the Missy Elliott Work It video, which was where I first, I was like, what, who is this amazing person? And then all the movies, which I watched them all, Step Up, Cheaper by the Dozen. So I think that might be a good place to start. Tell me, what was that like for you? Was that where you started to have a difficult time with anxiety? That's a great question. And I really appreciate us being able to revisit my past, not just for entertainment's sake, but really to examine what was happening at a nervous system level, at, a, at an interpersonal and social level. So I didn't have any words for my anxiety for many years. I had no idea there was a name for it. There was a label, um, definitely not any diagnoses. And what I actually found growing up is that I was in a very high octane adrenaline based lifestyle constantly, chronic stress, chronic highs and lows. And, you know, you, you have these spikes of anxiety before every audition and before every performance. And I, I grew, grew accustomed to that as normal and my entire personhood adapted to this frenetic state of being. So then, of course, when you're used to going, 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 and you finally slow down, maybe because your body forces you to, that brings its own heap of anxiety and inner turmoil. So um, for me, many of the years spent acting and performing were in a constant state of either trying to regulate myself just to get through the day um, or trying to dissociate because it was far too overwhelming. And now that that's coupled with what was happening in my own personal life as well. And I come from a home that was very chaotic. There was abuse, there was addiction, there were traumatizing events. So anxiety was really it was like a, you know, a best friend. It was my most familiar state of being. It wasn't until later that I, I really reached breaking points that I, I realized, oh, I need, I need professional help. I need maybe some medication, at least temporarily. I need tools. And, you know, for years now, it's just been finding and adding more and more tools to cope and manage. And so you mentioned there having a chaotic personal life. Was the entertainment industry and your foray into that, was that meant as perhaps the antidote to, to the chaos that you had at home and that ended up becoming part of the problem as well? I wish that there were, was that much intention behind acting and performing at a young age. But, you know, I was six years old. So I think it was taking it one moment at a time and responding to the external environment that was, you know, quite favorably hiring and rehiring me. Now, you know, to the naked eye, that is a huge bout of beginner's luck. It's exciting. It's special. However, rarely are parents and children equipped with the skills as well as the knowledge of what to expect, you know, the risks, the pressures, um, a lot of times the outcomes for young people who perform and then later have a lot of struggles mentally, emotionally, physically. And I wasn't exempt from that. Um, I, I definitely have had my fair share of struggles and 
now I really try to advocate for mental health practitioners on set, as well as getting tools into the hands of families and, and young people. You go from one day being the person you are to suddenly your break happening and everyone being aware of you. Like, did that feel like a moment of excitement or overwhelm or both? It is as complex as we are as humans. There are moments of excitement. There are moments of deep gratitude to have recognition for something you're working really hard for day in and day out. Typically for most performers, we're going on hundreds of auditions and being rejected, but we're put we're putting our best work out there every time, being vulnerable in a room of strangers and recreating these scenarios that that touch into very sensitive pieces of who we are. And, and maybe we use memories of our own to substitute that emotion for that, that character portrayal. And so it's a, it's a deeply intimate endeavor to perform. And then if it's going to be seen and witnessed, it's both exciting as well as nerve wracking because everyone is interpreting your performance through their own lens. And then you realize not only are you sort of commodified as a product, you're a part of, you know, this other production studio's vision, but you're also being a canvas for every viewer to kind of project whatever they're going through, whatever they believe onto you. So you have very little jurisdiction over how you're received in the world. You don't get a chance to really speak your truth or create a two-way relationship with people. It's people see you, they judge or criticize or praise, and none of it is ever quite nuanced and, and you know, respectful of, of our depth and breadth. So it's it comes with such an interesting bout of experiences. And of course, this concept of being on constantly you know i didn't i didn't really have many genuine friendships growing up not because i didn't want to be sincere but because i was constantly told to protect certain confidential information don't let people know what's happening within our family make sure you protect your reputation this will affect your hireability you don't want anyone to take photos of you you know accidentally scratching your nose and looking like you're picking your nose it's all kinds of self-consciousness that's just ridiculous. You said there that it was kind of, you were six years old when you got into it. At about what age did you start to become even a bit more aware of, okay, I know this seems exciting on paper. People are praising me, but I don't feel great. You know, I constantly return to the age 13 because that's when my disordered eating became an eating disorder. And I was noticing that I was recording uh, trigger warning, I'll keep this very high level. I was recording everything that I was eating. I was very obsessive, um, leaning restrictive. It was impairing my ability to focus in the day. And I knew at the core of this, I was reacting to something, but I still felt completely out of control as well. And, and you know, like a, a victim to this force. Um, and so I at that time also started looking at, okay, where are the anchor points in my life? I have nothing that is keeping me 
in a state of homeostasis. Like I have no idea what equilibrium is, no sense of balance. And everything in my life is constantly in and out. I mean, talk about like I moved schools eight times before eighth grade. I lived in 25 or more places and I'm 27 currently. And my relationships were always meet for that short shoot. That is probably a day, three days or a week bond with people and then break apart. So So inconsistent. So inconsistent. And, and I didn't know anything else. I had no idea that there was such a thing as settling, that there was such a thing as feeling grounded. And so I'd say around 13 is when it really heightened to a place where I felt I am not able to manage this at all. And I, I know that something is up. At what point did you get clarity on it maybe being related to anxiety and when did that word come into your language? And aside from the eating disorder, did it manifest for you in any other ways like panic attacks or anything like that? Yes. And at the time I had no idea that these were all interconnected. You know, I I usually just resorted to using the word stress. I had experienced hair loss. I had experienced um, some what we call kind of stress-induced seizures. They're not formal seizures. We took a bunch of brain scans. We're still trying to figure it out. Um, And yes, the eating disorder behaviors. um, And also I think just my inability to really engage socially. I, I couldn't interact with people without, and I kid you not, preparing everything I was going to say, estimating what to expect, constantly being hypervigilant. Talk about a skill of being able to assess someone in a split second. And many people, you know, comment on that being a strength. And it can be that you can be very attentive and you can really understand who is in front of you because you're paying such close attention. But I would admit that that skill was cultivated as a response to feeling threatened by my environment constantly. You're looking for constant ways that you can get back some element of control because everything else in your life is inconsistent. Yes. (laughs) It's a lot. Like even just for the brief few minutes we've been talking so far, I can't imagine what that must have been like for you to go through. And because something that I find is very symptomatic of the anxiety that I've gone through is the tendency then to self-criticize and blame yourself and say, you need to just get on with this. You need to get a grip. Look how good you have it. Look at everything you have going for you. And it's kind of toxic positivity that perpetuates anxiety when you think someone else would be so grateful to be here. And were you able to acknowledge at such a tender age, I mean, such formative years that what you were going through was like a product of the environment that you were in? Were you able to separate yourself from that and know that it was the environment and not your fault? I really appreciate you asking that. I don't think I have ever really allowed myself to blame or attribute things to external sources to a fault. You know, I've grown up with a, a heightened sense of responsibility, very much internalizing everything. And now as an adult, yes, thank God, it, things have shifted. But for the most part, I really saw this as my flaw. And, you know, I saw that other people had their own struggles. Many of my peers 
you know, leaned on substances to cope. And I decided not to do that. But then I had food, you know, then I had, I found other things like achievement, um, things that were actually societally acceptable. So it looked like I was in great shape when really they were still reactions to wanting control, to wanting to feel okay, to needing to please, to, you know, all of the different different things going on. So now I do have a, a healthy separation and I can honor that, you know, this is partially, you know, nature, partially nurture, partially these really strange experiences. And then also simply just what it means to be living in this era of pace and society and tech. And, you know, even 50 years ago, it seems while people I'm sure were still very busy, um, there was a little bit more time to integrate experiences, to reflect on them, to process a moment. Whereas now in between every meeting, we check our phone. We're not really integrating. So, you know, it creates quite a swirl. <laughs> so you're a teenager at this point, if I'm to stay on the timeline, you're mm -hmm. a high achiever. You're having a lot of success in the traditional markers of success with career and stuff, whatever about how we define success now is our well-being, which I believe you are very successful at now. The need to please and the perfectionism, that's kind of like on speed when you're in the public eye like that. And it's such high stakes stuff. How did you get from being in the depths of that to where you are now? Like, was there a point where you said, I just can't do this anymore? And was it someone who helped you see that? Or did you just hit rock bottom? And was that the foundation in which you built yourself back up? So I, I haven't shared this story with this detail before, but it feels timely. So when the movie Hunger Games was casting, they brought me in for Katniss, the lead. And I was a huge fan of the series. And I had recognized that I that because the character was described as very thin, um, even though she's muscular, she kind of has a gaunt appearance, a bit emaciated due to living in pure survival. I knew that it would be very easy to justify eating disorder behaviors, um, but I but I also knew that I hadn't ever gone that extra mile to really say, I'm showing up in, in this audition room ready to go. So I had a very interesting and complicated decision to make. And I chose to train intensely to get in shape and to really be Katniss. I dyed my hair even for the audition. And because we were on a, a bit of a shorter list. So it wasn't just like one of 1000. It was like, okay, there's potentially a shot here. Well, yes, I got in shape. I mean, I went to, I went to a resort that was actually for folks who were needing to lose weight medically, who were on very like regimented diet and exercise programs. And that's already absurd to put myself in, in that same category. However, it's not unheard of in the industry to make these kinds of choices. So I went forward and I, you know, didn't end up getting the part. They did end up wanting me to come back to, to try out for some other roles. However, that was a breaking point for me where I went, what, at what cost am I willing to sacrifice my identity, my health, 
just to get hired. Even if I believe in my craft, um, there's no sustainability with this method. And at the same time, I had been talking with my family and saying, you know, I think I need some help. And we looked at outpatient options. We looked at inpatient treatment. And there was still so much fear around people knowing that I was going to get professional help, that it would leak to the public and be seen as this horrible, you know, reflection of, you know, destruction. And I decided in that moment, even if the world thinks lesser of me or judges me for this, I need help. And so I went to rehab and at the same time, you know, a co-star of mine was also doing, doing something similar. Her experience was far more publicized. So in a way I kind of tucked into my own little cocoon, but that's where I learned, oh, anxiety is a word that we can name. And these tools, you know, I, I was fortunate to have daily therapy and group sessions to really unpack. There was a family week where I had to learn how to communicate my needs to my parents at the time, which was, I mean, so, I mean, the amount of shame and humiliation of feeling like you can't do the bare basics in a day. You don't know how to feed yourself. You don't know how to care for yourself. I mean, there was so much humiliation, but by naming it and bringing it to the surface in a safe environment with support, that really was a moment of, of transformation. And I did have to be willing to walk away from my career. I didn't know how long treatment would be. And if I'd lose momentum, if studios might not like me, if I gain weight, if all of these different factors at play. Thankfully, I dared to believe that even if the whole first chapter of my life amounted to walking away, that there had to be a life worth living somewhere, somehow. I'm just astonished. I mean, at what probably felt like your lowest moment, it must have taken so much strength to have, okay, traditional career success in one hand of the scales and your well-being on the other and be able to decide what's more important long-term. And you did what a lot of people wouldn't have the strength to do you chose yourself and your well-being. And I'm always saying we've got so many plates spinning these days, especially as women. I think we have so many opportunities now that maybe my grandparents' generation didn't have and we were shouldering all this. We should be doing college and master's degrees and taking the movie role that makes you lose half of your body weight. You can do anything, but you can't do everything. And if you have all these spinning plates, one of them is going to drop and the, the plate that tends to drop is your well-being. And you, you picked that plate up off the floor and said, hold on a second, this is probably the most important thing here. And that's probably your greatest achievement in life already. I thank you for framing it that way. As someone who was working till 325 this morning and got up early to work more. Well, now it's ironic because now what you're talking about is well-being and you have to just make sure that you stay on the right side of that and not kind of burning the candle again. Totally. And it is a constant process. Um, but I think what what grounds me are a few things, this connection to serving others. I, in so many ways, do have a privileged position, um, access to resources, even access to knowledge that I can transfer to a larger mainstream audience. Um, I know that I have to take care of myself at least 
to the degree of being able to serve the collective. Um, and I do think it's worth naming something while I totally appreciate you calling it a strength. I also want to add the dimension that I had the fortune of experiencing a significant amount of success. And if you haven't yet reached those milestones, I think it can be much harder to advocate for your well-being because you still feel like, ah, but I haven't quite gotten there. I'll just push a little further. So I do think that that helped when I realized, okay, I have at least experienced some moments but so you got to the point of opportunity, but you got also to see the cost. So I don't know if you agree, but I feel like having gone through a hard time with anxiety growing up, I'm 32, you're 27. As hard as it is to have gone through that at a young age, you have learned the value of taking care of yourself so much earlier than most people probably just hit that wall in their 50s. As hard as it is, I always try to look at my anxiety as like, your body is communicating with you that this is too much for you right now. It's trying to put you on the path that is the right one for you. And acknowledging that you're maybe a sensitive person, maybe someone else in your position would have completely thrived in it, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. So to go back to the hunger game thing, which I'm really honored that you shared that with me, how did you learn to deal with such high stakes, stuff like that, where there's rejection involved and attaching that to your sense of self-worth? This is a very loaded question. Sometimes you don't get to choose what you learn. It is just by necessity. <laughs> As a coping mechanism, I suppose you end up learning. Yeah. You know what I will say I wish I had? in place was a pre-care as well as an aftercare plan for those moments in the audition room, not only to regulate your nervous system, um, but also to be able to really separate your journey from whether or not you get hired from that character's emotional state of being. Um, it just the lines get so blurred. And I think, you know, it does happen with artists, but it happens with all humans that we start to take on and absorb these ideas about ourselves and and we start interpreting what's going on in our surroundings based on our history instead of trying to keep more of an objective lens. I mean, to the degree that that's even possible. Um, so, so things like rejection, you know, they have a way of callousing one's heart and mind over time. And some people go, wow, I respect you for, you know, the thickness of your skin. It's like an elephant. And I'm like, I don't want to be so hard headed that you can't get through to me because that means when I'm with a loved one, I have that much more difficulty being vulnerable because I don't trust someone's sentiments toward me. I'm afraid that they're going to, you know, change their mind or walk away right after. So everything affects it. It's each other. And I'm by no means exempt from, you know, seeing how rejection, vulnerability, anxiety, like ended up affecting my social life, my, my intimate relationships, my family relationships, and even also the career decisions. So I see a tie and I, I can share this here, not in every conversation because anxiety is sort of the, the thread here. Um, I believe for myself that I was so afraid of failure and the anxiety that, that accompanied those moments of making a mistake, especially publicly, um, that I stopped 
pursuing things that were challenging. I just wanted a safer container. Now, mind you, I actually think that was a generous and kind thing to do after having like such chaos all the time. Yes, Allison, good on you for just saying maybe we don't need to be on the edge of glory constantly. Um, But at the same time, as I'm pursuing entrepreneurship now and stepping into a founder role and really ideating how I want to, you know, serve the collective, I have these big visions and then it's very easy for anxiety and for other inner voices to go, nope, let's just not do that. So what I'm striving to do now is, you know, equip myself to be able to manage and tolerate discomfort and and challenges, but also completely honor my edge and, and not measure myself by another founder or what society claims is, is success. And I so deeply appreciate that you mentioned well-being, you know, as one of the components of success. Like- yeah. The third metric, as Ariana Huffington says, I also really respect actually that, you know, you have such a huge platform on social media. Did you get to a point where you said, hang on, I need to speak out about this A lot of people at your age group would have just kept the head down and just kept going. Like I've seen you on red carpets talk about the dissonance between young people's well-being and those kind of environments. Did you feel like you were going against the grain somewhat in talking openly about your experiences with anxiety in those environments? I think there are a couple of things that go into my my social media content. One, I am just not interested in surface chatter. (laughs) So I have always been quite contemplative privately and I do feel introverted um, in nature, even though, you know, my life indicates otherwise. So I have, you know, dozens and dozens of journals of these thoughts and musings and reflections and poetry. And so when I'm making content, it's really hard for me to simplify and only talk about, you know, what I ate for breakfast. I actually have to remind myself that like the normal mundane everyday things are valid and important to mention as well, because if not, I will just be in some like philosophical rabbit hole contemplating, you know, the mechanics of the universe. Um, And so I think that's a part of my personality a bit. And second, social media, I wanted the content to be a departure from this very reduced experience of me via characters in in the traditional world. You know, this was finally an opportunity to not have to play another character. And so while I still wrestle with what kind of authenticity is and isn't appropriate and how much do you disclose, you start to feel like you're in a community and you can share anything. And then you're like, wait, this also means my grandparents could see this and young people. So it's a living thing that that is active and breathing and, and takes on its own little journey. But for the most part, that's more of the the personal expression, the social change component and the impact driven component. Those are fundamental pieces of myself that I just think people didn't get a chance to hear and see unless you followed the interviews I had done. But that's that's what charges me. I mean, I. I would probably sleep a little more if I wasn't so bent on figuring out solutions that can change systems and that can 
you know, figuring out what my role is and actually filling gaps and leveling the playing field and creating more access for people. That's what drives me. So I think inevitably, you know, the social content reflects that. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How important is it to you to not appear? Like you mentioned there, you know, you don't want to be super callous and be impenetrable. I guess my life changed for the better when I stopped resisting my vulnerability and working against it and started to kind of work with it. And my anxiety didn't just improve, but like, life improved massively when I started to really embrace vulnerability and allow for the humanness which is so can be very lacking in social media certainly seems to be lacking in the entertainment industry has that been the anchor for you like owning that vulnerability for yourself and how has it positively impacted your life great question vulnerability and I have a daily dance (laughs) I think there is something so beautiful about getting to know what feels okay for you. And it's so individualized for some people. It is so wise and helpful to have very strict boundaries and to be less penetrable for others. The journey, yes, is opening the door or just a window and letting the breeze in every once in a while. For me, vulnerability takes a lot of time. I'm thinking specifically to my intimate relationships. I have the capacity to connect deeply while still not quite being vulnerable, if that makes sense. You know, I can contend with with very juicy emotions and still kind of have my heart in a lockbox. And that's my journey. And so I think... Now I'm in the process of learning what it means to really trust my body as I interact with people. So it's not just, 
you know, cognition and, and logic driven assessment, but it's really good. Okay, your, yeah. Your, your body is responding. And then you get to learn and differentiate. Is this reaction based on history and trauma, or is this a legitimate need to close up shop for the day and, and walk away? So I would say, yeah, vulnerability is adding so much color and meaning and richness to life. Um, but it's not without those moments of, oh, shoot, why did I say that? And I opened up and that was, you know, that ended up hurting really badly. But of course, the joy is also there. And I'm, I'm so thankful that joy even exists now that did not exist for most of my life. That's really, really sad. That's really sad to hear. When you look back now at yourself if you do looking back in videos or for me I always say 2014 was like my Anna's horriblest and anxiety hit me everyone listening will know this but I just hit a wall and I started to really struggle and if I even see photographs now from that time it's triggering did you have to draw a line under the sand of that part of your life obviously it keeps coming back up because even how I reference you at the beginning is how people will know you how do you feel now looking back it seems that the more I heal and learn how to relate to these pieces of myself, the more I can withstand talking about them. For a while, it was quite triggering and frustrating to constantly be reminded of my past, especially because people mostly spoke about the positives and had no idea the rest of the story. Well, now I've learned, you know, not not everyone is going to know your story anyway, so there's a a bit of making peace with yourself and, and your identity and also creating a, a healthy distance from it. Um, you know, detaching from things that you thought were going to be your only identifying markers for the remainder of your life. Um, really creating that space, whether it's through therapy or mindfulness tools and meditation, um, I actually use a very specific neural retraining program um, to, to change how my limbic system responds in situations. And it's a step-by-step -step process that I kid you not, I do every day and I do it all throughout the day um, because it, it essentially takes in and notices what situation is sparking that symptom, whether it's anxiety or a certain thought pattern. And then you're able to go, okay, in the past, I know that this brought up A, B, and C, but now I know that's just a result of cross-wiring in my limbic system. And I'm choosing to rewire my brain. I'm choosing to rewire my body. And then you invite this kind of, you could call it a higher self, wise self, wise mind into the picture to speak to you from that place of resilience and remind you who you are in truth in this moment, in your fullness. And then the wise mind kind of says, okay, now what state of being do you want to choose from here on out? And you repeat that cycle until you feel your body shift. So over time, I'm able to talk about things that were once triggering and now I can go, okay, I actually have a healthy distance from this. And if anyone is interested, it's actually quite an old school program. Um, if you Google DNRS, I think it's with Annie Hopper. I mean, the videos are like super retro. <laughs> it's not conclusive. It's not end all be all, but 
it's making a difference. Wow. So that's something you practice every day. It's one of the only things I have stayed committed to in my life. Yes. <laughs> Dance also and movement is something that I see has been a constant for you. That obviously was a form of expression that now is something that you have control over. You get to say what it is. You get to bring so much of yourself into that. And, and that's so apparent with everything that you do. How did you turn something that I guess was part of the picture when things weren't great into something that served you well again? First, I took a break from it, a very extended break. I disengaged from not only dance training, but also physical activity. And I had to process all of my beliefs around it, including this idea of no pain, no gain when I'm training and the culture of seeing our bodies as projects to complete or objects to fix as opposed to sources of information and you know center point of who we are and so during that break there was some reflection there was daring to believe that i could have a different kind of relationship with myself um, but then moving forward i also started studying somatics which is you know focused on uh, in, internal um, perception and reconnecting your mind and body, essentially. And so then I realized, oh, movement is a tool for mental and emotional well-being, as well as it actually allows you to, to, to activate different parts of your brain and body that are storing memories, beliefs, trauma, associations, anxiety, um, that you can't necessarily articulate verbally because maybe these things happened at pre-verbal or non-verbal stages of development. So once I started looking at the science of it and looking at different ancient traditions, different contemplative traditions, somatics, different scientific fields, I started seeing this narrative emerge where wow, we really have been so limited in how we view the body. This is, this is an extraordinary way that we enact our story every day. So um, now, you know, my company Movement Genius is creating movement programs with licensed somatic psychotherapists specifically to help people improve their mental and emotional well-being. And it's very important for me to let you know that you don't have to be a dancer, a yogi, an athlete. You don't have to be into fitness. You don't have to have certain abilities. This is literally you and your body, no matter what your identity is, no matter what your experience, we really want to be able to meet you where you are and help you reconnect with yourself and, and find confidence. And then also feel empowered to be able to handle whatever life throws us every day. So how does it work? And is it something that we can get involved with over here <laughs> remotely? Yes. Thankfully, because we're all interconnected now, um, we will have, depending on when this releases, you can sign up for the wait list and test different um, movement categories. We'll be in production with a variety of instructors um, this month. And I'm so thrilled. We've been uh, testing different groups and seeing how they engage with the material. And there have been very transformative uh, moments, very cathartic moments. It seems to really build and strengthen a community uber instantly, which is phenomenal to witness and, and participate in. Um, so the way it works, uh, fundamentally, there are certain 
functional movement patterns. There are certain somatic principles. Uh, for those who want to, you know, geek out, you can look at things like the Embodied Mind uh, book. You can research uh, Bartiniev or um, Feldenkrais or uh, some of these other movement techniques that have kind of been reserved for like exclusive communities a bit. It feels a little hard to reach. Um, we're taking these different principles and we're just making them more casual and everyday experiences that you can do to sense into uh, the thoughts, the emotions, the sensations happening as you're moving. And that can look a variety of ways. It can be a traditional workout movement um, all the way to, you know, an experimental kind of creative expressive movement. We know that everyone experiences movement differently and will want and, and seek different things. So we're trying to create categories um, that really offer this, this moment of checking in, um, getting to know yourself, feeling really grounded, reducing stress, improving your mood in a way that works for you. Wow. My God, sign me off. I'm so tight everywhere because since I had my baby, my body has just been in like mode. So to get moving, even just your description of it sounds amazing. So huge congratulations. It's amazing that you've taken something that was very tough and you've channeled that into something that's going to make a difference for people. And it's not just, you know, a nice idea. You really care, obviously. You know how important it is. And I think that's going to come across massively for people. I mean, this conversation is such a gift. You are so affirming and I so appreciate it. I don't often have these conversations, but I do feel completely seen that you can connect the dots and see why this is is so meaningful. Of course, same same as what I do. You know, people always ask me about, not, it's not the same, but I've written, I write books about anxiety and how to cope and everything. And people say like, what is it that makes you share it's like I don't know what else to do like it's just a coping mechanism you know you you just do what you know you just let it come out of you and not only are you helping other people but you're helping yourself heal all of the time by bringing yourself closer to like authenticity and I always feel like you know with like imposter syndrome the person that you put yourself out to the world to be is at odds with the way you see yourself privately and that's where all this tension comes from and anxiety and if you're willing to close those two over and bridge that gap and for that, you need a willingness to be vulnerable and to show up and be human and you need to be kind to yourself and not be self-critical. Then I find a lot of the imposter syndrome or the anxiety kind of dissolves into the background. And I don't know if you feel the same. Yes, I, I'm curious if I can ask you a question. Yes, of course. Have you noticed an overall decrease in the amount of anxiety you experience over the years or have you just gotten more tools to manage it? Definitely a bit of both. I think the most crucial thing for me was when I got to the point where I stopped trying to cure it and I understood it better as a stress response that every human being has and some people feel it more than others and at different points in life it's going to fire off and my threat system might be a little bit more hypervigilant than the person next to me but to change my relationship with it and to really listen to my body and and to see it as something to work with rather than work against. And that was such a turning point. And from then on, it just slowly but surely started to settle. And I guess I'm that bit older now. I don't put myself under pressure to do everything and go in every direction because I know that something's got to give and I'll end up feeling anxious. So I think I just recognize it better. And I know when to step back from myself. And I still feel it. Like I, I felt it quite a lot after I had my baby because you're handed what feels like a grenade when you, you know, you're in the hospital. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this thing. And 
this is another thing I guess that you could relate to is the expectation versus reality. People are expecting you to be so thrilled and it's so amazing and you're getting all these flowers and you feel so vulnerable and so terrified. You know, there's that dissonance there and that, that's when you feel, and I was like, I have to put my hand up and say, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel great. And as long as I always do that, and that's what I'm so grateful for social media as well, is that like it gives you the opportunity to put your hand up and say, this is okay, this is normal and normalize these things. I would love to ask you as well before I'm conscious that you'll have to go soon but everything you've been through now I mean if you were to have a daughter who wanted to go in a similar path I mean how do you feel about that now and anyone that you know who is maybe chasing that elusive shiny success that maybe isn't all it's cracked up to be elusive and the illusion yes um you know I reflect on this often (laughs) and First, there are so many ways to support a young person's love of creativity and expression outside of industrialized processes. So I always encourage people to look at community theater, to look at what it means to just have a paint night with family or to enroll in some classes, but to really put the child's well-being first and instill some skills um, during the process. So, you know, if if your child is a competitive athlete, there's going to be moments, of course, where they're facing some tough competition or they lose and they really were hoping to take home, you know, the trophy. So, there are a bunch of different ways or different canvases um, for us to kind of experience the same journey. Um, But first and foremost, we just have to equip the human being before kind of whipping the human doing into a certain shape. Um, If I, if I knew how to balance the world of action and inner, inner experience, maybe Maybe the process could have been slightly different, but for the most part, I have no desire to subject any young person to what I experienced. Now, I also have to give my parents credit and and acknowledge the immense beauty and fortune and privilege that I did have. Um, it, it what there were so many incredible moments so many highs that are significant that are unique that are treasured but i uh, yeah i i'm a sucker for the mundane these days i'm like there's a lot of beauty and normalcy yeah go to bed early you know have a nice meal get to sleep the night through yes and you know i also if if i were ever to parent a living breathing thing human being, that's a a tall order. Um, But if I were to go that route, you know, I would really strive to, of course, guide and model, um, but then also empower a young person to really learn how to trust their voice and their own decision-making. And yes, that needs immense support and mentorship, but I do think there's something about maybe us not giving youth uh, the autonomy and agency um, that would be helpful for them to feel capable of handling life and and thinking critically through things. Now, yes, developmentally, psychologically, like there are different things that, you know, abstract thinking and yada, yada, yada aren't totally 
available in full capacity at certain ages. But I do think, you know, I've, I've read several things with young people, just the way that their days are hyper scheduled. If it's school, you know, you do this subject at this time, you take this test and this is your, you know, your grade. Um, afterwards, this is when your recreational activity takes place. You can use your phone now and not later. You must go to bed here. There's, there's little room for that play, for that imagination to be cultivated and um, things like social media end up being huge portals for them to actually express. So there's something beautiful about that there. But I wonder what it would be like if we're raising young people to, you know, not to give them unnecessary amounts of responsibility, but really to empower uh, from a young age that their voice does matter. And, and that means there's also consequences and accountability to whatever you do choose. Like, I'm sure parents are constantly trying to do this, but, um, you know, I just wonder what, what a little bit more empowerment and mind body connection would look like for, for new generations. Well, hopefully we'll get there and we shall see. I, I can't thank you enough, Alison, for being so open with me and giving me so much of your time and sharing with me. I have really, really loved chatting to you and you are seen and heard and I, and I get everything that you're doing and I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you, likewise, and take care of your little one, take care of yourself. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.